the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. With a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within us, this is Contending for the Faith with Dr. Jerry Buckner. And now, to introduce Dr. Jerry Buckner, here's Gary Bell. Welcome to another exciting edition of Contending for the Faith. We're the cutting-edge Christian apologetic ministry addressing the issues and challenges facing today's church. And we're live, live for the next hour with your host, Bay Area pastor, lecturer, counselor, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. My name is Gary Bell, and we're inviting you to call in with your questions, comments, and your concerns. Our toll-free number is 1-888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. That's one 888 So don't be shy. Pick up that phone and let us know what's on your mind. Again, the number is 1-888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Well, it's been almost four months now since the October 7th, 2023 Hamas attack on Israel. An attack that has become known as one of the most bloodiest in Israel's history and the deadliest for Jews since the Holocaust. We've seen and heard reports from the Middle East of the horrific atrocities and barbaric killings of Jews. However, in light of biblical prophecy and history, this is nothing new or surprising. Behind all of these heinous acts is none other than Satan and his demonic cohorts working in accordance to Ephesians 6.12, where it states, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Warfare is not only physical, but it's also spiritual. Stay tuned for part six of our series entitled Genocide Attacking Christmas. The Christmas season may be over, but the warfare continues. So stay tuned for we are not pretending, we are contending for the faith. Dr. Buckner, how are you tonight? Brother Gary, I'm truly blessed, and thank you so much for that uh, challenging introduction. And we want to thank everybody out there in Radio Land for joining us for another edition of Contending for the Faith. What a series we've been giving on genocide attacking Christmas. And as Brother Gary has said, Christmas is every day. And this is why we have been mentioning Christmas, because it's every day in our hearts, and the attacks upon it is every day as well from the world. And uh, rather than me uh, getting into number one, two, three, four, and five, I've covered that in uh, great detail. I'm going to jump right into uh, number six because uh, I want to spend some quantity and quality time uh, dealing with this number six because I I believe that you will be immensely blessed by the teaching tonight because what I'm going to be doing is uh, giving you some uh, historical and archaeological 
info on this, and we want to encourage you to get your pens and papers and be ready to be blessed by the teaching. Uh, so you'll be learning some history uh, to uh, night and some archaeological information as well and revelation. So we want to call your attention to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 24. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, and as you are looking for that, I want to read uh, two verses to you because uh, on the sixth uh, point, uh, genocide, we're going to title this Genocide Attacking the Temple, the Temple of God. And this is what happened in 70 AD that uh, the Roman uh, general emperor Titus uh, came in and literally did exactly what Jesus had prophesied. And so in uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, let me read in your hearing. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Notice the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. The temple is mentioned two times. So Matthew is trying to make a point on the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and edification and exhortation of his holy word. Now, when we come to Matthew 24, uh, verses uh, 1 through 25, and then verses uh, 46 on, uh, these uh are divided chapters, and we're talking about the Olivet Discourse, and it contains most of the prophetic material of all scripture. Now, uh, when we look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1, he's uh, emphasizing the building, the building uh, of the temple. This temple was started and begun by Herod the Great in 20 BC and was still under construction when the Roman Romans destroyed it in 70 AD. At the time, Jesus' ministry, the temple was one of the most impressive structures in the entire world, uh, made of massive blocks of stones engraved with gold ornaments. Some of the stones in the temple measured uh, really huge measurements and pressed up against one another. The temple buildings were made of beautiful white marble, and the whole eastern wall of the large main structure was covered with gold plates and reflected the morning sun, making these spectacular as a visible, visible from miles away. The entire temple Mount had been enlarged by Herod's engineers by means of large retaining walls and vaulted chambers on the south side and the southeastern corner. And the large country yard area of the top of the temple mount was effective doubled. And disciples were looking at this and they were very impressed 
and it just literally blew them away. Now, uh, let me say some more things on this uh, because it's so important for us to understand the historical background. Um, and when Jesus prophesied that no, not one stone would be left upon another, after he left, 40 years after he left, what he prophesied came to pass. That lets you know that uh, the Bible is real in terms of what Jesus prophesied and what the Bible says about the future as well. Now, some uh, Bible scholars uh, only look at this, uh, the, the, the future just going back, uh, actually the past going back to 70 AD, and they don't look at the uh, future prophecy. And, you know, preterists, some preterists may look at it a little bit, but not on a strong level. I see this chapter divided with a local prophecy and a future prophecy in the chapter. And our millennialists and preterists, they focus more on 70 AD rather than dividing it up. So you got to be uh, careful about how you hear people teach about this chapter. Now, uh, the siege of the Jerusalem of 70 AD event was the first Jewish-Roman war between 66 to 73 AD. In April 70 AD, three days before Passover, the Roman army started besieging Jerusalem. Within three weeks, the Roman army broke the first two walls of the city, but a a stubborn rebel standoff of the Jews prevented them from penetrating the thickest and third wall. Oh, this is good information, historical information. According to the historian Flavius Josephus, the contemporary historian, the city was ravaged by murder, famine, and cannibalism. How about that? According to Josephus, when the Romans reached the city to destroy the wall, which protected it, they removed four stones only. But during the night, the walls collapsed. That night, the walls were so shaken by the battering rams of the Roman soldiers that the ground then gave, gave in way and the wall fell down suddenly, like the walls that came down in Jericho during Joshua's time. Then after the Jews, allies gave fierce fight and killed a number of the Roman soldiers, they even almost captured Titus, the general, during this sudden attack, but he escaped. Now, here are some questions, important questions. How was the temple destroyed? Because that's an important question. How was the temple destroyed? It was destroyed just like Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, verses 1 through 2. Overlooking the temple compound and the fortress provided a perfect point from which to attack the temple itself. The battering rams made little progress, but the fighting itself eventually set the walls on fire. The Roman soldiers threw a burning stick onto one of the temple's wall, destroying the temple, which was not among Titus' gold, because possibly due to the large part 
the massive expansion of the temple was done by Herod the Great decades earlier. Titus had wanted to seize it and transfer it into a temple dedicated to the Roman emperors and the Roman pantheon gods. But God had uh, other plans, and you can never stop the true plans of God and the prophecies of Jesus and the Bible. But however, the fire spread so rapidly and quickly and was soon out of control. The temple was captured and destroyed sometime in August 70 AD, and the flames of the fire was so bad that it was not only destroyed completely the temple, but spread into the residential sections of the city. Josephus described the scene, quote, crowded together around the enhanced, many were trampled by friends, many fell among the still hot smoking ruins. As they neared the sanctuary, they pretended not to even hear Caesar commands and urged the men in front to throw in more firebrands. Everywhere was a slaughter and, and flight. Most of the victims were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, butchered wherever they were caught. Round at the altar, heaps of corpses grew higher and higher while down the sanctuary steps of port poured like a rivers of blood and bodies of these killed at the top of the bottom. Over the years, various remains. Now, this is uh, historical and archaeological facts and evidence. Let me get into that. Over the years, various remains that provide evidence of Jerusalem dis destruction have been discovered leading scholars, Christians, and non-scholars to believe that Josephus' description is accurate and the Bible and what Jesus said is accurate. These massive stones that collapsed from the Temple Mount walls has been found and discovered, laying over Herodian Street that runs along the Western Wall. Question, how many people died during the genocide? We're talking about genocide of the Holocaust of these Jews. Josephus writes, 1.1 million people, the majority of them Jewish, were killed during the siege, a death toll he attributed to the celebration of Passover. Josephus goes on to report that after the Romans killed the armed and the elderly people, 97,000 were enslaved. Josephus records records that many people were sold into slavery and that of the inhabitants of the Jerusalem, 40,000 individuals survived and the Romans emperors let them go wherever they chose. Now, let me say this in closing. Why was all of this stuff going on? The temple being destroyed and all of that. We see the judgment of God coming upon uh, the Jews for their constant rejection of Christ and rebellion of Christ. And we see back in earlier in the Old Testament, the Assyrians took him into captivity. 
the Babylonians, and now the Romans, God has a way of trying to get our attention in so many different ways. And he's still trying to get the attention of the Jews to turn to Jesus Christ and you too. Let's close in, in a prayer of repentance. Dear Lord, thank you for this message. We repent of our sins and accept you right now as our Lord and Savior. Lord, you have called our bodies to be the temple of God. And may we live in dedication to you. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So Lord, may we dedicate our bodies as your temple and may we be faithful so we will not be judged like Israel. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Brother Gary. Well, all right, it's time for us to take that commercial break. Pick up that phone and give us a call. We'll be right with more of Contending for the... You're listening to Contending for the Faith on AM 1100 KFAX, the spirit of the Bay. Well, welcome back to Contending for the Faith with your host, Bay Area pastor, lecturer, counselor, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. If you have questions or comments, and if you need prayer, we're here to pray with you. We always say prayer should be your first response, not your last resort. We want to encourage you. God is is there to, to hear your prayers. To, to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. So give us a call. And since we're on the subject of prayer, we always like to thank all of you who have been praying for contending for the faith all these many years. It is a prayer-driven ministry. We need those prayers continuously going by the throne of grace. And so we encourage you, continue to pray for contending for the faith. And also we thank those of you who have partnered with us financially to keep this ministry going because in addition to your prayers, this is a listener-supported ministry. So we need that that uh, support from uh, our, our faithful and generous donors. And there's two ways that you can donate. You can address a check or money order to Contending for the Faith, P.O. Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. That's Contending for the Faith. P.O. Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. Now, the second way to give is so much simpler. Just go online to contendingfaith.org, contendingfaith.org. Click on the donate button, and it's that simple. You'll be a blessing for time and eternity. So we can't thank you enough for your continuous prayers as well as your generous giving. All right, Dr. Buckner, you're about ready to go to the phone lines. Yes, let's do that. And I just want to say this quickly that we appreciate everybody in your faithful giving because uh, it helps us to continue to do what we're doing. And it's been a slow week uh, uh, from some people giving. So we want to encourage you uh, to stay faithful. Uh, and the Lord said, if you're faithful in little, he'll bless you in much. So we know that uh, times right now is difficult and hard for all of us <clears throat> to just try to make ends meet. But we know you love this program, <clears throat> and we know that you're getting blessed by it. 
Uh, and so we need you to just uh, encourage you to stay focused, faithful, and fruitful, the three Fs, focused, faithful, and fruitful. And if the Lord touch your heart tonight, uh, step out on faith and just be a blessing uh, right now. You know, you don't have to wait till the week. You can do it, uh, step out on faith right now and just be a blessing to uh, contending for the faith. And we'll deeply appreciate that. Amen, Brother Gary. All right, so let's go to line one. Jermaine, are you there? Hello. Yes, we can hear you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. All right. Good, good to hear your voice, my brother. Family doing well? Yeah, everybody's well. Oh, good, good. Well, what's yeah. on your heart and what's on your heart tonight? Well, just um want to revisit I think it's Numbers chapter nineteen. We're talking about the temple and the significance of the red heifer. And I know a lot of uh, people in, in the, the Middle East are looking at that event because they, they say a red heifer was born. But the question I want to ask you is, according to the prophecy, for those that still adhere to that, looking for a sacrifice, it was supposed to be spotless and, and there was supposed to be no blemishes. But does that discount once you or does it disqualify once they maybe genetically engineered or or just, you know, force breeded until they got a red heifer? Does that kind of disqualify it as an authentic prophecy? Yeah, because it, it does disqualify because of, of the fact that the red heifer, what people have to understand, that the red heifer in the Old Testament was a typeology. Uh, the sacrifice of a red heifer was given as a shadow of Christ's uh, ultimate sacrifice. It was to point to point the children of Israel in the right path and help prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. So anybody that would kind of like get into the red heifer and uh, the Old Testament concepts of that, we as Christians need to point them to the new covenant. Uh, we need to point them to uh, Hebrews chapter eight, that the old covenant is obsolete. And, and under that old covenant was the sacrifice of uh, animals and whether they are a red heifer or a bull or a lamb in the Old Testament, all of that stuff point to Jesus Christ. And what happens with a lot of people today is that they try to sidetrack you or me or anyone else into getting into the theology of it. And what we should do is keep the focus on the fact that it's a typology. There's You can't get saved by the red heifer in the Old Testament. And what's the purpose of getting into all of it? I mean, we, we can tell you about the, the meaning of it, but the reality is, I mean, when you get into the red heifer, the red blemished brown, brown cow, uh, probably young since no yoke had been uh, laid on it, the cow was burned and its ashes were used as the agent of purification. Uh, that's what it's making clear of in verse nine of that chapter. But all the, the writer of Hebrews uh, tells us that all of these sacrifices to Jesus Christ and our greatest witness today in the world, uh, whether they Jew or, or Gentile or, uh, you know, Arab, 
we want to let them know that, hey, you can't get saved with the red heifer and all of the practices of all that. You get saved under the uh, Jesus Christ sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That's the sacrifice that we need to be focused on. And when people bring up this stuff, my encouragement to you is just to say, hey, you know, I hear you, and I can tell you a little bit about that, but that's that doesn't have any saving power. Uh, that was just a typology pointing to Jesus Christ, and that's where our focus should be. Okay, yeah, and I agree with everything you're saying. I think it's crystal clear from Scripture. I just I don't understand some of the the uh, proclaiming Christians who are excited about this kind of thing because if anything, it would negate the sacrifice of Christ. So I don't get why they they'd be happy. And and if you artificially try to create a prophecy, I, I just don't see it ending well. You know, so that that's my thought also. Yeah, and you and you and you make a good point because uh, it's. You know, it's so many people, like people in uh, Catholicism, uh, in uh, certain churches that get caught up into tradition and rituals. Uh, and what does Paul say in Colossians chapter 2? He says, all these things are a shadow, but Christ is the substance, you know. And uh, these things we should keep our focus on. Jesus Christ. And it's just that people are, you still have people like the way, let me just say this, Jermaine, the uh, Judaizers and the Pharisees have not gone away from us. The spirit of the Pharisees and the the Judaizers, that's what, what Paul was dealing with in Galatians. They were constantly trying to get people back into the works of the law, and Paul says, cursed are those who uh, continue to be in the works of the law. Cursed be them. So nothing nothing has changed in the sense that there's, when you were asking about, wow, I just don't understand what, well, that spirit of the Pharisees and uh, the Judaizers is still in the midst of us today. And then some of the Seventh-day Adventists, get into all of this, and some people like the Hebrew Israelites, there's some people uh, that's constantly getting into that. One of the first principles, say this, one of the first principles of hermeneutics is that you always interpret, this is the first principle, you always interpret the Old Testament in light of the New, never the reversal. But a lot of people have a warped understanding of hermeneutics where they want to interpret the New Testament in light of the Old. But the Old Testament needs to be interpreted in light of the New. And Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. That's what I've come to do. And then the writer of Hebrews says, the Old Testament is obsolete. So, uh, you know, what an opportunity though, I want to say this in closing on this, what an opportunity for you, uh, even when you see that they are, got that Pharisees mentality and Judaizer mentality, it's a great opportunity for you to witness to them and keep them into Christ who fulfilled the law. He's the fulfillment of, of the type. And let's get our focus on that because all these other things are a shadow. Christ is the substance Paul is telling us. So hopefully that 
that helps out. Your question is a good question. And I, I'm, I've been dealing with the same thing over and over and I'm trying to tell you exactly what I, uh, how I handle it, you know, so hopefully that helps out. Yeah, I'm talking about thanks a lot, Doctor Mark. You got it. Thank you for your call and your question. All right, Billy Gary. Yeah. So uh, we had a question from Alfred. He wants to take his answer off the air. His question is this: Are there different levels of heaven, and what do we need to do to make it to heaven? Well, that's a very good question. Um, do we have enough time to get into that uh, right now? I know we have almost a whole half an hour. Do we need to, maybe we need to go to a commercial break? Uh, three before the commercial, so. What's that? I said we have about three minutes. Oh, three minutes, okay. Well, let me just say this, and then I can elaborate upon this more uh, when we uh, come back from the commercial. <laughs> that the question is, number one, uh, are there different levels of heaven? No, there's only one level of heaven, only one place of heaven where all believers go. That's important for us to understand. Now, in, in Mormonism, uh, they try to teach different levels of heaven. That's what the Mormons try to teach in their cult. Uh, but the Bible doesn't teach on different levels. It's where on one level, going to heaven with all believers uh, and to be absent from the body, Paul says, to be present with Christ. And Jesus said, I go away in John 14 to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. He didn't say, I go away to prepare a multitude of places for you. Now, what I want to add to that and then to, to your first question, and I'll elaborate on the second one when we come back from the commercial break, is that the there's different uh different levels of rewards so rather than thinking that there's different levels of heaven you got to think about replace that thinking and say there's different levels of rewards uh and so people can uh if they've been faithful they'll receive a great reward if they haven't been faithful they'll lose out on those rewards. That's what uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. They'll suffer loss because they haven't been faithful and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me elaborate upon this more when we come back from the commercial break. All right. Well, time for us to take that break. Our phone lines are open. We'll be right back with more of Contending for the Faith. You're listening to Contending for the Faith on AM 1100 KFAX, the spirit of the Bay. Well, welcome back to Contending for the Faith with your host, Bay Area Pastor, Lecture Counselor, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. I'm Gary Bell. Once again, we like to say prayer should be your first response, not your last resort. And so we just, again, validate all of you who have been praying for Contending for the Faith. It is such a blessing to know that there are so many of you out there, long-term listeners, short-term listeners, and everyone in between that have been praying for this ministry. We can't thank you enough. And 
And it's, we want to also thank those of you, as Dr. Buckner mentioned also, that have partnered with us, who have been generous to give to Contending for the Faith. And we've had a little bit of slowdown. So we, we want to encourage you, we, we don't slow down, speed up. <laughs> it's time to give. And we want to encourage you that uh, nothing that comes into this ministry goes into our pockets whatsoever. It all goes back into radio time. And so Dr. Buckner and I receive no pay. Uh, This is, uh, you know, our calling. And God is blessing us on the other side of things as well. So we put everything back into the ministry. Everything goes back to radio time. So it's really important that you are faithful in your giving and faithful in prayer. There's two ways that you can donate. You can address a check or money order to Contending for the Faith, Post Office Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. That's Contending for the Faith, Post Office Box 553, Tiburon, California. That's spelled T-I-B-U-R-O-N, California, 94920. Now, the second way is so much simpler. Just go online to contendingfaith.org. That's contendingfaith.org and click on the donate button and you'll be a blessing for time and eternity. You know, this this money that's going ahead of you into eternity and God is going to reward you for your generosity, for your blessing others. And believe me, your giving will be a blessing to others because it keeps this program on the air. I truly believe that one day, You'll stand before God and he'll say, turn around, take a look. And you'll, you'll turn around and see a multitude of people. God, you're going to ask God, who are these people? And the Lord's going to respond to you and say that these are the people that made it into heaven as a result of your giving. So it's important that we give. It's important that we remember the three T's, time, talent, and treasure, and invest those things into God's kingdom. All right, Dr. Buckner, you were in the process of giving us a most profound answer to Alfred's question. Are there different levels of heaven and what do we need to do to make it into heaven? Yes, that's so true. Uh, and Alfred, thank you again for your your question, a good question. Now, um, let me kind of break this down on a, a little deeper level uh, with your question. Because um, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he does say that he went to the third heaven. That's what he says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He went to the third heaven. And so when you talk about heaven itself, there's the heaven in and of itself. But when you talk about uh, the different levels on earth, we can say that there are different levels in terms of earth itself, and heaven would be the third heaven. But there's not like three heavens and in heaven itself. So heaven, the third heaven where Jesus is at and where we'll all be at, as a family in God, and then there is a heaven uh, on the earth uh, where 
the domain of Satan is at, because it tells us in Ephesians uh, 6 and verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. In the old King James, it says in high places. In the Greek, is heavenly places. So Satan is in the spirit of the air that Paul talks about. And he can possess people on this earth, and that's how he expresses himself. So that's that's a type of heaven. And then you have a type of heaven where uh, we dwell, heaven and earth. So those are three types of heavens in the mind of the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> but in heaven itself, it's not different levels like the Mormons would say, you know, that uh, the Mormons going to have one part of heaven, uh, the faithful Mormons, those who didn't believe would be in a second type of heaven in, in heaven, uh, or those who didn't believe in the Mormon teachings, they'll be uh, in a second type of a heaven in heaven. And then there's a third type of heaven where uh, somewhat unbelievers are at, and uh, they will be somewhat uh, warned but punished. So we don't believe in that type of third heaven like that. So in heaven itself, one, but as far as Paul talking about, he went to the third heaven. He moved out of this heaven and earth, <clears throat> went through the domain of uh, of even the enemy, and then entered into the presence of God and saw things that was unlawful for any man to see. Now, <clears throat> when we talk about hell, and we say that, uh, are there different levels? Uh, well, let me get back to heaven and say this on that, and then I'll get to hell <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in a minute here. In heaven, uh, there are uh, what we call different rewards. Those who are faithful will receive uh, greater rewards, and there are level levels of rewards for those who are faithful. Those who are not faithful will lose out on rewards. So there are five different crowns that the Bible talks about. Five different crowns. There is, I did a teaching on this a long time ago on the radio. There's number one, the victor's crown. That's found in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27, the victor's crown. Then number two, there is the crown of rejoicing. That is 1 Thessalonians 2 and 19. Number three, there is the crown of righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 4 and 8. And then number four, there's the crown of life. That's referring to those who actually lose their lives for Christ's sake. Uh, and that's found in James 1 and 12 and Revelation 2 and 10. And then fifthly, there's the crown of glory. 1 Peter 5 and 4. The crown of glory refers to um, all of the faithful preachers and pastors 
and faithful uh, ministers of God, uh, pastors who've been faithful to the call that God has called them to do. That's what is, is called the crown of glory. This is a tremendous area of learning in terms of these five different crowns in heaven. <clears throat> so I hope uh, those who are listening got those points down. Uh, now, let me get to talking about, because I'm kind of doing a Bible study on this. Uh, well, a question for you regarding the rewards. Yes. Does it talk about people receiving 10 cities and five cities and being put in charge of certain things? Yes, it does. And that would be uh, like uh, greater rewards of service. So those who have been faithful on earth, Jesus, when he talks about that, what you're talking about, mm -hmm. greater areas of service will be bestowed upon those who have been faithful on this earth. And, and God will entrust them with greater ministries in heaven. That's a good point that you just raised. So thank you for that. Um, so when we talk about a punishment in hell and different levels, yes, there will be different levels. When you talk about somebody like Adolf Hitler killed 6 million Jews, if he didn't repent and turn to God, which science says he, he pretty much he didn't, but we never know. Uh, but his punishment will be greater than somebody that is the average man that goes to work every day, have a family, and he just goes to work, come back home, go to work, and he doesn't do anything wrong to anybody. He just neglected God. So his punishment will not be as severe as somebody like Adolf Hitler or Jim Jones, you know, 916 people killed in Guyana in 1978, 79, 78, November 1978. I was working in San Francisco as a missionary uh, when uh, Jim Jones was there, and I warned uh, pastors and ministers about it, but nobody wanted to really listen because he was doing so many things in the community. But I spotted him out. I discerned him right away uh, with the spirit of discernment. Now, uh, in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 through 49, Jesus says something really, really important there. And I'm going to look in my Bibles at that. Luke 12, and we encourage people to look at it with me. Luke chapter 12. And uh, we're going to look at verses 47 to 49. This is a description of different levels of punishment in, uh, in hell. It talks about in verse uh, 46, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware. <clears throat> and will cut him in asunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Where's the unbelievers? In hell. Think of verse 47. 
And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. That means the person who knew better and didn't listen to what the Lord called them to do or her to do will be beaten with many stripes. Look at verse 48. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they shall ask the more. And so Jesus is letting us know here that those who knew God's will and refused to do it, this is a wake-up call for anybody that's listening to this message right now, this teaching. Anybody that is knows somewhat the Bible, knows, been in church, and knows God's will to some degree, and just you just reject to, to do his will. That's why, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 7, many that says will say in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Did many mighty works in your name? And he says, I will profess to them that I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because you didn't do my father's will. So the thing is, the will of God is critical. And Jesus is saying here that if you refuse to do his will, and you know his will, in hell, you're going to be beaten with many stripes. The level of your punishment in hell will be greater than the person who's in hell that's unaware. And he has just a little knowledge of what to do. And those who know much to do and then refuse to do it will be beaten with many stripes. Gary, I'm going to let you say some things on this and bring it at home. You have a some time to say a few words on this and bring it home. Well, you know, we, sh we really need to address the second part of Alfred's question, which is what do we need to do to make it to heaven? Yes. I think this is, uh, as you like to say, the coup de grace. <laughs> yeah, this is the coup de grace because in order to make it to heaven, you got to do what the Lord told you to do in confessing your sins and repenting of your sins. And I always lead people in the three R's. Recognize your sinner, because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then you got to repent. That means to turn from that sin. And then you got to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And Romans 10 and 13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Romans 10 and 9 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart men believe unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made into salvation. So confession with the mouth and then repenting, all of this is what the scripture says. And Jesus stands at that door and knocks, and he wants to come in and sup with you and you with him. But you got you got to confess your sins because Jesus came and died for your sins. 
and he came back alive to give you eternal life. And if you reject that, it can open up the door for you to be lost throughout eternity. So you want to add something to that, Brother Gary, and bring it home? As all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So don't think that, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not so bad. We had this misconception that that it's a, a scale. You know, on one yes. side of the balance, you have all the good stuff you've done. And on uh, the other side of the balance, you have all the bad stuff. And you figure if I can just make sure that the good side outweighs the bad, I'm going to make it to the heaven. It doesn't matter. It, no sin is is enough to disqualify any sin is enough to disqualify you so jesus is the answer at the end of the day when all is said and done acts yeah. 4 says neither is there salvation in any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved all right well we the thing so we've come to the end of tonight's exciting broadcast and i'd like to thank vince our engineer and you our listening audience for being part of tonight's program Please keep us in your prayers until next time when we once again give you the opportunity to ask questions, make comments, and dialogue with Dr. Buckner, always with one purpose in mind, to equip, exhort, and better enable you to contend for the faith. I'm Gary Bell. May God richly bless you. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.